Welcome to the Weird Christmas Podcast. I'm Craig Kringle. Yes, I know I'm very late. This year I've been sick. I've had too much work to do. It's been a whole messed up variety of the things that have kept me from getting other things done this year. But don't worry, we may be pushing the boundaries of the full 12 days of Christmas, which start with Christmas Day, by the way, but we'll get some episodes out. I've done all the interviews, collected music and sound clips, I just haven't sat down to actually edit it all together so that it's listenable and you don't hear me snortling and coughing behind everyone. But you will notice that I'm definitely sick sounding in just about every episode this year. I've had some kind of mild pneumonia for over a month and it's pretty much wiped me out and affected everything. I wish I could blame it on cigars and pipe smoke or something fun, but no, just random illness. Even threw a little COVID positivity in the mix for a bit, so I wasn't tasting all the Christmas bonbons and sugar plums like usual. And yes, the story contest will happen. It has happened already. Actually, I just haven't told anyone who won. But I've got all the stories read and waiting to go. In the meantime, now is the time for our official annual visit from Benito Sereno Claus. I guess. There were times this year when I thought about maybe just asking him to like do the podcast, but in the end, that wouldn't be fair. I'd have done all the fun part of reading and talking with folk and just leave the editing and intro rambling to him. So Benito, please remember if I ever asked you to do something like that again, just say no and tell me to get to work. This year, we decided to do a deeper dive on the Tomtar or Nissa, Scandinavian gnomes. Basically, we talk about the names. I won't say the fascination with them has hit peak Krampus levels yet, but they do seem to be creeping more into American awareness, at least in terms of like decorations the last couple of years. Now, for those of you who don't know Benito, um, weird, but whatever. For those of you who don't know Benito Sereno, he is a comics writer, a writer-writer, a podcaster, most regularly of Apocrypals and Friends Till the End, but he shows up in a bunch of things, and an all-around Christmas authority, expert, nerd, any nom de plume that goes with knowing his stuff about the holiday season. All the links to old shows with him and all of the stuff he does will be up on the website. And that's enough BS from me, so let's get to Benito. So I wanted to talk to you about gnomes, Craig. Awesome. Um, because like we've talked about a number of different things, yes. obviously in the past, but this year uh, I thought, and you know, we try to kind of touch on some kind of zeitgeist mm-hmm. when when possible. And it was hard this year for me. Like when we were talking about that, I couldn't decide like what really, I don't know. Krampus was there, obviously. Yule lads were there for a long time, but this year I I don't have a good handle. So you maybe have a better, a better feel than I. So I wanted to look at some, yeah, these Scandinavian Christmas gnomes. I say gnomes because of, because they look like gnomes, right? And uh, if you see them and they're very popular, even in the U.S., but I've also seen them all over. Um, Europe as decoration, right? The little gnomes mm-hmm. with the 
caps that come down over their eyes and whatever. Uh, like TJ Maxx has like gone all in on those gnomes as not only Christmas decorations, they have them as like at Easter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) My wife has a Thanksgiving gnome she brought home from somewhere sometimes. Nice. Um, So when I say gnome, it's mostly because that's, that will bring up the correct image in somebody's mind, right? The pointy red cap, the white beard, the little dude that's like less than two feet tall, David, the gnome, right? Essentially, essentially what you're seeing in the, uh, the Dutch gnome, gnome's book right right and if you watch the cartoon it has the single saddest cartoon ever created which i'll just you know, talk about it i'll just put a link to it on there yeah but a banger theme song yes. um but uh if if you're looking at like the lore of these things they're technic they're not gnomes because they work in the earth they're connected to the earth right, right. they're earth elementals by uh origin uh whereas the scandinavian gnomes which are properly known as tomtar uh in swedish or nisser in norwegian and danish or uh tomtu in finnish there's a there are definitely other terms but um they're more related to like a a uh, some kind of household spirit right like a uh, like the domovoy in uh russian or like the uh, a hob a hobgoblin right mm-hmm. a, not but a good like the good goblins that help take care of the house and that kind of right. stuff mm-hmm. um a brownie would be another example and so like in terms of function they're more like that but in appearance they're more like gnomes and so i tend to say gnomes because i feel like people will think of the visual association before the function yeah 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 um but yeah the reason i wanted to talk about uh Tomtar. And I'll, and I'll say this because, because I've seen, I, I maybe exaggerate it, but from my experience, I've seen Swedish people get very upset when English speakers do not properly decline mm-hmm. the word Tomta. Yep. Right. So, so a gnome is Tomta. The gnome is Tomten. Gnomes, Tomtar. The gnomes, Tomtarna. Yep. So there, so that's me showing that I know it. And now I'm not going to use that because I don't, yeah. because English speakers don't want to hear that. Tomtar, right. yeah. Um, so I learned that from you years ago and the tiny bit of German I have made me still say Tomten. Tomten is plural because it seems plural because, because of uh, German. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it, you see it all the time. That's really common to see people, English speakers say mm-hmm. uh, Tomten as a plural, but Tomtar is is the plural i under i know that i understand that uh so swedish people can feel free to not at me about it <laughs> um i respect your language and culture etc um but uh the reason i wanted to talk about uh that is because a like i said it's becoming it's an increasingly um common decoration but also um last year or two years ago there was a uh, Danish uh, TV miniseries that appeared on Netflix called uh, Nisser, which was in English translated as Elves, mm-hmm. which was yep. a little uh, like a little Christmas horror miniseries about a um, urban family that goes out into far remote uh, island uh, where there are uh, Nisser who have been rounded up and kept in uh 
an offense and then they get free. And then it's kind of like Scandinavian gremlins a little bit. Um, not quite actually it's, it's played for more horror than last. Yeah. Um, but, um, so that was a couple of years ago. And then this year it, I it's, I don't know if it's out yet. I haven't seen it, but this year there is an English language, uh, theatrical movie coming out called there's something in the barn. Um, that's got, uh, Martin Starr in it as like the father from an American family who inherit land in, uh, it might be Norway. I can't remember. And, uh, they, uh, they go there not knowing that there are rules about how you're supposed to treat, uh, the, the Nissa, the household spirit. Mm -hmm. And this one at least appears to be a more traditional, uh, depiction in terms of looks, because like ultimately the, uh, in, in the Netflix series, the, they weren't really depicted like gnomes. They were like wild animals right, with, yeah, with yeah. pointy heads. Right. Yeah. To, and the pointy heads were supposed to kind of be indicative of the, of the hat. Caps Whereas yeah. in, in the new movie, um, he, he, yeah, he looks like a, a gnome, right. And he lives in the barn. And so it seems to be, um, following a more, uh, traditional appearance which i so i'm looking forward to seeing that one i haven't seen it yet but because of that one i was like we should probably we should probably tackle uh this particular uh thing because it's um it's big in scandinavia yeah and i was thinking that what was the uh the movie crap i know the movie i can't remember the name uh special delivery or something like that um um rare exports was it yeah rare exports yep um yeah that they the elves in there are kind of Yeah, they've they've got a yeah a similar vibe there, and are probably so like so Finland is a little bit different than the others because their main gift bringer is is Yulupuki, right? And he and Yulupuki is kind of a um, a remnant of the Yule goat, which would have been the um, the Christmas gift bringer in most of Scandinavia for a long time until about the 19th century. Um, when the Tomta took over. So, well, all right, let me, why don't we start with like the or the origins of this folk figure? Because this, this is like, this is a completely like legit folk thing, right? This is not an, um, this is not a, uh, an example of like marketing. I mean, it is eventually, but like originally it's not. And so, uh, the Tomta or the Nissa or hold on a second. Let me consult some of these other names. I'm going to check my copy of Scandinavian folk belief and legend. And I did see that the big goat is up now and has not been set fire to. Quite yes. Uh, yeah. The, um, <laughs> that's good. The Yevla goat has gone up. It, they haven't had the, um, the inauguration ceremony for it yet, but it has been constructed. Yep. Uh, I, I do follow that closely on, um, social media because uh, I missed. Was it the last couple years it's been set on fire? No, it survived the last. Was it couple last years. year it survived? Okay, okay. Um, I think it's been like f- four years in a row, maybe that it's oh, survived. Good. Okay, cool. Um, I, I know a lot of people like to. Maybe I just saw the the story of the one year they did set it on fire. And just get repeated a lot. Yeah, I might be misremembering, but I'm pretty sure it's been like four years in a row that okay. it survived. Good, but um, I know a lot of people like to cheer on the the burning of the goat but to me it's like no that would to me it feels like 
people cheering on someone setting fire to the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree, right? Exactly. Like, yeah, that's why I kind of brought it up. I want to give you a chance to, yeah. <laughs> make sure I, you it's get it's that just like this is this is a thing for kids. Why? Why yeah. do you why do you want to see it burned down just because you're yep. some edge lord? Anyway, um, okay. So some of the other names uh, for the the Tomta. Uh, so the name Tomta is related to the word Tomt, which means like the farmstead. So he's the He's the farmstead man, but he can also be uh, the the guard vord, the farm guardian, or the tunkal, which is the yard fellow, um, or tusa is also a possibility. So there's a number of different names for this concept, uh, but uh, most folklorists seem, seem to believe that the original idea is that uh, the tonta or the nissa is kind of the guardian spirit of the first person who owned that land right Mm, so that that sticks around and so in that sense it's like an ancestral spirit more kind of like uh the roman uh larry's and yeah panades right um and uh so spirits too kind of yeah 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 to the heart spirit exactly exactly so the idea is they like they live in the barn on your farm and they help take care of stuff as long as they are respected taken well care of and they're not offended, but they're easily offended is, yeah. is the problem. Yeah. Um, uh, so there's a number of these stories, right. Um, that are collected here and you can, you can see they'll, they, t- they really love the horses. Like horses are their favorite animal on the farm. And if they have a favorite horse, let the Tonta take care of the horse. Uh, don't, if it braids the horse's tail, don't <laughs> yeah. undo it, uh, or whatever. Um, and uh, but also like there's a number of different stories about how the Tonta will go to a neighboring farm and just steal stuff uh, to help out his own farm. And so, um, so they're supposed to be extremely strong. And so a lot of these stories feature people seeing them carrying huge loads of hay or whatever on their back or they can carry a cow or, or whatever. Right. Um, even though they're little garden gnome sized dudes. And so, uh, yeah, they, they bring tons of hay, they take care of things, but they, you know, they don't want to be insulted by you thinking you can help them or whatever. And the biggest thing, the biggest thing that's so common in, uh, all these stories is you make food offerings, uh, to the Tomta or gifts offerings makes it sound more religious, which I mean, in origin, it probably is. But the idea is you give them all presents. And the biggest one is that at Christmas, you give the Tomta a bowl full of rice, rice porridge, Mm -hmm. Riesengrod, I believe I may be saying that wrong. I don't speak Swedish. Sorry if that's not apparent already. But um, so uh, a big bowl with importantly, a pat of butter on top. And so there's a number of different stories in this uh, collection. I have this Scandinavian folk belief and legend um, where there's a servant who's like, this isn't real. Tomsa's not real. I'm going to eat this porridge. Why does this uh, grumpy barn man get more food than me? Yeah. And uh, so they eat it and then terrible things happen to them. Like there's one where a servant girl does it. And then the Tomsa forces her to dance herself to death, basically. And then uh, the, probably the most famous one is someone like as a joke puts the butter pat on the bottom of the porridge instead of on the top. <laughs> and um, the Tonta sees that 
and uh, gets so mad that they uh, that the Tonta kills the best cow on the farm. And then he goes back and eats the porridge anyway. And then he gets to the bottom and finds that the butter was there and he feels bad about it. So he goes to the neighbor's farm and steals a cow even better than the one he killed. <laughs> um, that's in my experience. Like that's the most famous um, Tonta story, right? That's good. That's good. Yeah. And I should say for postcards, there are a ton of images of the little guys eating or just carrying like a bowl of the stuff. And so yeah, absolutely. You ever see that out there or if they're next to what looks like a giant bowl of, it usually looks like a yogurt or something like that. But yeah. That's or it, 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 it kind of looks like oatmeal and I yeah, mean, it's kind of, yeah. it's oatmeal, but it's rice and not oats. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and yeah, let's talk about the postcards because they're essential to the Tonta becoming associated with uh, Christmas. The, the first Import, most important step uh, before the postcards is there's a, a poem by a guy named uh, Victor Riedberg, and it's called The Taunton. And you can find it. It's from it's from the 19th century, so it's it's online. You can find it. Um, Wikisource has a version, but it's called Robin Goodfellow mm, okay. um, because they're trying to make a cultural connection to... Gotcha uh english speakers gotcha gotcha but the idea is like it's the farms uh tonta wandering around on christmas eve um looking across the farm keeping an eye on the animals and the children but also kind of pondering life and death because the tonta who has been there for generations and sees families generations of the family come and go uh is like what must that be like for life yeah. to be so fleeting? Um, cause he's been there for, for so many hundreds of years, you know? Yeah. Um, and so this poem became extremely popular and it was one of the key things that associated the Tonta with Christmas. Right. And also I should point out like the idea is like every farm has a Tonta, right? So it's not, it's not a thing where like there's one, like, yeah. uh, and so, there, there's Tomtar, there's Nisser all, all over the place. So each each farm has their own. And uh, then there was an illustrated edition of this poem that came out with illustrations um, by Jenny Nystrom. And her illustrations for this poem were so popular, she began producing more and more for postcards and Christmas cards. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones, I mean, there's other ones as well, but hers are the most popular. Yeah. Um, so the ones that you're describing, the ones that you're thinking of where the, um, you see the Tomta coming by the window with a little cart pulled by a goat or a pig or whatever. Yep. Um, or there's several of them sitting around and they're eating porridge or there's one sleeping in the hayloft in the barn with a cat and like yep. all, all that stuff. Th- those that you're picturing, those are all by Jenny Nystrom. Yeah. And so, um, and I love, the way she makes people laugh, like something about those yeah. little dudes laughing when they're smiling or something. It just, there's one in particular where there's four of them standing around and one of them has fallen in the snow. And there's this one little dude who is just like leaning back laughing. And it, every time I see that one, it just makes me so happy. Cause he just looks so full of, you know, it's mean that he's making fun of his friend, but he's just looks so, I don't know, just so full of happiness when he's yeah laughing. This, oh, they're, yeah, they're so great. Like, I mean, it you if you see one, you can almost immediately tell how like she became like the quintessential 
Christmas yeah. artist yeah. for Sweden. Yeah. Um, or Scandinavia at large, right? It's it's yeah. very it's very similar to the how uh, how Thomas Nast influenced um, the yep. way America pictures Santa Claus. In that same way, her images help ingrain the the Tomtar as the Christmas thing, right, yep. in people's Absolutely. brains. And so it's in the 19th century that that the Tomtar start to take over as Christmas gift bringers because prior to that it had been the Yule goat, which you and I talked about uh, a little bit at mm-hmm. least uh, last time when we were talking about various um, wassailing hobby horses. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the Yule goat, which had originally just been a wassailing figure had eventually transformed into the gift bringer, but uh, it was ultimately superseded by, uh, by the Tomtar in the, in the 19th century, thanks to the popularity of these illustrations, right? And so you start seeing um, these gnomes uh, sometimes dressed not dissimilar to okay. Santa, but, uh, but you know, still mostly looking like roughly like a garden gnome, um, delivering presents, usually accompanied by some kind of um, small farm animal. The goat, therefore, becomes like a, a, a new, uh, you know, the the yule goat gets to stick around a little bit um yeah. but now he's just like the pack animal <laughs> for the tomta um pigs are common because you know we see pigs in a lot of european wintertime uh, imagery because they're symbols of luck and mm-hmm. you know prosperity yep. um so it's very common to see the tomta with pigs uh cats are common uh as well and um so yeah suddenly the idea became uh that the tomtar uh, would come out of the, and you know, as, as, as city as urbanization that you have fewer farms, you have more cities. And so suddenly it's like Tom Tar coming out of the woods to deliver presents rather than they just live in your barn or right. something, you know, cause you right. don't have a barn anymore. You don't have, uh, outbuildings like that. Um, I don't know if like people in the suburbs think that Tomta lives in their, sh- their shed or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, eventually, eventually there kind of coalesces the Yule Tom 10, right? And the fact that it's Tom 10 means it's the the guy Christmas gnome, right? And he, this figure is, would, would be for Americans, I think more or less indistinguishable from Santa Claus. Um, he's human sized. He dresses like Santa. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there, there are there, some people who wonder if the red in Santa is largely because of, uh, the red with those guys. I mean, I don't, I think there's lots of other things, but, but at least yeah. that has people try to make that connection. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I believe that. Whereas to me, it's just like, well, no, cause Thomas Nast decided red looked best. Red. And yeah. that is why. Um, but, uh, anyway, so yeah, like if, if you're a kid today in one of these countries where, uh, the Thompson is the main gift bringer, um, you know, the, the Yule Thompson, looking like Santa Claus will instead of coming down the chimney comes to the front door, comes in hands presents to the kids, of course, you know, someone in a costume, whatever, but, um, and there's, you know, uh, tourist attractions that are, uh, comes to the Yule Thompson's house. And I've even seen like a separate backstory. I can't off the top of my head, remember what it is, but there's a thing about like, he was trapped under a rock and then he, came out from under the rock i don't i don't know i can't remember how it goes uh i I think you still see and and a lot of times i it's hard to find 
uh, real information about like what's current. People will talk about like how things were or the origins of things. And I, and without going to a place for me, it can be hard to figure out like, what do people do now? Do people believe that they have individual uh, you know, Tom Tar that are coming to bring presents or do they come in groups? Do they still, do they still imagine the Jenny Nystrom postcard? Right. Right. Or are they picturing Yule Tompton looking like Santa Claus? And that's, and more or less, uh, there's continued American, uh, cultural hegemony. Right. Um, and, and I don't know. Uh, I think it's a mix. And so the way the way that I can, you know, without going these places, the my best way to try and understand what people are actually doing is to go to like Instagram and mm-hmm. yeah. and like search the hashtag for Tomta Tomtar Nisser and see what people are posting and what picture what do their decorations look like, what are they experiencing and seeing. And so uh, it seems to be a mix. So, right, like at a lot of official events, you get Yule Tompton, the Santa Claus like one, but people will put up uh, decorations of the more traditional um, elf sized ones with their pigs and whatever. And of course, like I said, those those decorations, those TJ Maxx uh, gnomes with their caps over their eyes, those are super popular um, elsewhere. I've, I saw them all over, uh, Germany in the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I, and I see them all over Instagram posted by, uh, people in Scandinavia. So I, I, I know that thing, uh, that, that style is still popular. And even in the, um, in the Netflix miniseries and, uh, Nisser, um, while they're per- portraying the real Nisser as being these kind of like pointy headed, uh, feral cat monsters or something. Mm-hmm. Um, the family is decorating their tree and they put up a traditional looking Nissa riding a big fat pig on their, on their tree. So I know, you know, there's um, some level, there's some level where the, uh, the Jenny Nystrom version is, is surviving. Yeah. Um, I would, uh, you know, like to hear from, if someone's listening, that is um, Scandinavian and, uh, wants to let me know, you know, what does your family do? Uh, hit me up. That is, that is an instance in which you can at me, um, unless you're mad at something I've said, in which case keep it to yourself. But, uh, yeah, I just, I think they're really cool. I'm looking forward to this movie. Um, I hope we hear more of them. Like it's one of those things where you see the images and we get the sort of surface side of it. And the problem sometimes like just with Krampus, when he got, passed around over the internet it became really really hard to figure out okay what's legit and what's just people you know randomly making up a story even if they're from that area online like it takes a long time like you know for somebody to actually go to the places and figure out well which ones are actually traditional which ones have stayed um you know what did people use and what are things that nowadays that it's getting popular they're sort of backfilling and whatnot and that's that's true of any folklore stuff for sure but but hopefully the more the more we know about it the even more that we can know because that's i know when i talked to um linda radish she had a book about history of elves not just christmas elves but Mm -hmm. but like all the elves and she was saying the same kind of thing like what she did was told stories that she had found the trick though is you know you never really know how widespread, how authentic, you know, how was, how much was this just 
something at somebody's farm that became something for this town and yeah. became a legend, you know, and that's, yeah, that's just the nature of the beast. It's hard. But the more, you know, the more interesting it can sometimes get like nowadays, there's so many local versions of Krampus that it's really cool. You can find out like, how did, you know, Austrian mountains do it versus Austrian farm folk or whatever, you know, and yeah. it was kind of, they're somewhat different traditions and that gets really fun. Yeah. But, yeah. And, and the other thing about so many of these folk figures, right. Is for someone like me, I find out about them and, and my brain goes, all right, what's the lore? What's mm-hmm. the story? And it's like, there's not really any big, and it's yeah. true. This is true with like American folkloric figure. Like what's the lore of Bigfoot, right? Well, yeah. nothing. He's a gorilla man that walks around in the woods. That's yeah. the whole story. You yeah. now know everything there is to know about Bigfoot. Um, and so like, at, at least with like these, like, you know, I have a book, uh, the, so the the book that I've referenced a couple times here, um, it collect it's collecting actual like anecdotes and stories and memorata from peop- from actual people. This is the story as they heard it, you know, and that kind of stuff. So it, so that way you get these little anecdotes about you know the porridge with the butter in the wrong place or whatever, yeah. or the running into the the tomta at night who's stealing a cow from somebody else's farm or whatever. So you do get at least little anecdotes that way. But like with so many of these figures, it's just like, well, this figure exists and this is his name. And that is all. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and that's, you know, when I was, when I work on trying to fill out some of these stories to create a, you know, an in universe fiction, uh, integrated story for all of these things i i i prefer not to invent but the thing is a lot of times you have to invent because the material is just not there Mm -hmm. um and and that's true of so many of these figures um one other story actually that i'm as i'm looking over at my book another book i had pulled out um uh astrid lindgren the children's writer the swedish children's writer um perhaps best known for pippi longstocking um, wrote uh, two picture books, uh, one called The Thompson, and then, which I don't have, but I do have the sequel, uh, Tomta uh, and the Fox, which I have in German, Tomta um, und der Fuchs. Um, and these are very cute. The, the first one is more or less a loose adaptation of the Victor Riedberg uh, poem. Uh, whereas the second one with the fox is uh, it's about a hungry fox in wintertime who sneaks onto a farm looking for something to eat um, only to be uh, only to encounter the, the Tomta who decides to help the fox out by sharing his um, rice pudding. That's basically, that's, uh, yeah. that's the story. I didn't mean to spoil yeah. the story, but <clears throat> Um, but it's got the parts in there. Yeah, you got the, they got the, yeah, rice exactly. Rice. You got the gnome. You got the, yeah. And so, uh, you know, it's it's short. It's it's a picture book for for pretty little kids, but um, which is about the level of German I I'm prepared to read. So uh, <laughs> when I when I go to Germany, I buy children's books uh, because that's what I can read. There you go. And uh, so that one I bought at a mall in munich in 2019 but it's really cool i um you can get them in english too uh for anyone who's interested in these the astrid lindgren uh books are definitely available in english you can get them 
from regular booksellers. So there's multiple editions with different illustrations and stuff, but that one's worth uh, mentioning because yeah, again, that's, that's a really, you know, significant person from um, in this case, specifically Swedish uh, culture, you know, uh, amplifying this one particular legend. And there's, there's quite a number of different uh, children's books about uh, Tomtara and Nisser that you can find. Um, Just Google like uh, Tomta children's books and you'll get all sorts of results in English as well. So, so I think one pretty obvious question that comes out of that is, is there any connection then between Santa's elves and those guys? Um, I think, I mean, I mean, yes. Um, also no, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but, um, I, so I think, um, I think in some of the places, uh, and again, this is me trying to figure out what information from what information there is. I think in some places where there's more of a, um, human sized Santa like prime gift giver, a Mm -hmm. Yule Thompson or in Finland, um, Yulupuki, I think the equivalent of Santa's elves end up being the the other Tomtar or the Tontu mm-hmm. or um, whatever. They end up being uh, they they kind of take on that elf role. Uh, yeah, another book that I bought in Germany uh, is a Finnish book, but I again I bought it in German. I don't read Finnish. Um, but it is Finnish in origin, uh, Vo der Weihnachtsmann Vont, where Santa Claus lives. And that's full of a very, like what an American would recognize as Santa Claus. Absolutely. Um, and it's full of in German Vixel, uh, or the elves. And, uh, it, you know, you could give this to an American kid and they wouldn't blink if it were in English, um, and just say, this is Santa Claus. These are his elves and all of that tracks right but it, in the original it is yulupuki and i don't know for sure because i don't have the finished original but i would imagine the elves the victol victol in there are the tontu i'm i would almost put money on that yeah and it's um, also it gets confusing then because then in the american version when you've got twas the night before christmas there santa is a small elf right yes and, yeah but then we also know that the English word elf, you know, elf, a dwarf, all those things, even goblin, you know, I think after Tolkien, so many people sort of have clear distinctions in their head between all these things right. that probably didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely there's definitely a case where like those things are all kind of muddled up in your head. They're ultimately just they're the hidden folk, right? Yep. Um but some people draw distinctions, but uh that word um Tussa from one of those stories that I read is a generic term for these kind of invisible spirits. And so, I mean, if, if you're really trying to, you know, draw a distinction, uh, yeah, elves would be a different thing and they would be closer to, um, more like a Tolkien elf kinda yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. uh, they're, they look like humans. They live mostly like humans, but better. And, but they, they're hidden. They live inside, uh, you know, rock formations or burial mounds. And those places are entrances to another world. It's, they're the equivalent of a fairy in English. Um, and you know, their world is very much the other world, um, of 
uh, English lore. And so, uh, so these are not elves, right? These are, these are something different. These are smaller little people, but they, but they're probably closer to what we would, um, envision as a Christmas elf. Um, because yeah, like the, the proper elves, the proper, um, hidden folk, the invisible, the unseen, uh, those are more like humans, you know? So, uh, do I think imagery of the Tomtar, like the Jenny Nystrom, uh, images, do I think those influenced, uh, American understanding of Christmas elves? Probably at least a little bit, but that's conjecture on, on my part. Um, because, uh, the idea of Santa having elves is developing around the same time, like mid 1800s. Um, I think the, one of the earliest records we have of that is from a, you know, short story from around that time. Um, and like, where did that idea come from? I'm not sure anyone's hundred percent sure. I mean, it, it might develop from the idea of, yeah, Santa himself as a jolly old elf. And mm-hmm. yeah, like you said in, in the poem, he's diminutive and Thomas Nast to go back to him, uh, drew him that way. Originally. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the older, um, Santa Claus illustrations by Nast, you can see Santa is little. He's, little uh, he's yep. he, uh, has a giant book. <laughs> like he's smaller than the book. Um, but over time Nast is like, nah, he's gotta be big enough to hug a kid, you know? <laughs> um, and so he eventually becomes human size and even, you know, large for a human which is kind of where he's still at now um so there uh yeah there is development how much intermingling there is i would say some but i i couldn't say for sure yeah um someone who's more academic than me should do a study on that but but there's still a lot of other elves around like that's the those are the ones that are most visible right now but there are other christmas elf traditions like you got the Oh shoot! I always pronounce it incorrectly. But Calakanzaros, the Greek, yeah, things that are supposed to be small and elf-like, but they're also more. Those guys are more like, literally, more like stupid hick elves who just come <laughs> out at one I, little time of the year and like just during the twelve days of Christmas, they're supposed to come out, but then they're easy to fool. Yeah, um, there are a lot of the the things like one of the ones that I really like the stories for those guys is that if you leave um, a colander out on your front porch, they're so dumb that they can't count past two. And so they'll spend all night trying to count the holes in the colander rather than coming inside your house and right. wreaking havoc and stuff. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They can't count past two partly because they're dumb and also because in some versions, because they can't pronounce the holy number three, right. the number of the Trinity yeah. that, that they can't do it. Um, yeah. Calicon, sorry um, for sure. Um, similar vibes, but I like to, I like to refer to them as gremlins because a, the Mm. movie gremlins being associated with Christmas, but also gives you an idea of how they behave. Yeah. Um, the physical descriptions of them are different. Um, I, uh, but generally they're covered in black fur. They kind of got monkey like features, Mm -hmm. uh, goat legs usually, um, that kind of stuff. But yeah, they show up on the 12 days of Christmas and they wreak havoc like the gremlins in the movie, right? They'll come in and they'll mess up all your stuff. They'll break your furniture. They'll poop in your food, mm-hmm. uh, all that kind of stuff. Right. So people do stuff over the 12 days of Christmas to try to protect against them. They keep the, the fire burning. They put like stinky logs or they throw 
old shoes in the fire yep. so that stinky smoke goes up and keeps them out. Um, they throw salt in the fire to make it spark up and that kind of stuff. Um, and just and then you can hang more like, confusing. Those guys are like, they're a bit more like the Yule lads in some way. Cause they play tricks on you, but they're not yeah. necessarily distinguished. Plus there's a lot of stuff I found about them is that they, uh, they cross with the werewolf thing, because if you're born during the 12 days of Christmas, you might turn into a Calican Zaros or something. Yep. Like for so, sure. Yep, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, the, this is a Greek tradition. I don't know if we said, Oh that. yeah. I don't know if we said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah. So yeah, basically they do all that stuff and there's different ways to try to protect against them. Yeah. Like you said, the colander, you can also put like a tangled thread of, uh, flax or something out and they'll count the threads and until the sun comes up and then they, and so like the idea is, yeah, they live underground. They work at, uh, most of the year at trying to saw down the world tree, the tree that holds up the world. Um, and then when the solstice comes and the sun stops moving as it's popularly understood, mm-hmm. right. Um, that's when they come out. And uh, they start to cause trouble for that time period until you get to Epiphany, um, at which point the local priest comes and uh, blesses the waters around. And so suddenly, I mean, like literally, uh, you know, whatever river or uh, whatever big significant body of water there is around, he literally throws a, a, a cross in there and then all the young men in the village dive into the icy cold waters to be the first one to find the cross. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that blesses the waters. And then suddenly there's all this holy water around. And so the Calicon Zaroy, uh, can't handle that. And so they go back on, uh, underground to, uh, continue sawing down the tree only to find out that in the 12 days they've been gone, the tree has completely healed. And so they have to start over again. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, so that's, a, that's a fun little thing. And, uh, you know, um, at, at least traditionally the primary gift bringer, uh, in Greece is not on Christmas. It's new year's. They have, uh, it's, uh, St. Basil who is one of the, uh, main saints of Greece. He's an important, um, doctor of the church, St. Basil the great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, one of the traditional, probably like the traditional food for that time is the, um, Basilopita, which is, um, St. Basil's pie. Uh, and it's got a little coin in it, but when you, you slice, you cut up slices and you dead and you say it like, a, it's kind of like a prayer or something, but it's like you dedicate the different pieces to the different, um, people in the household. And it's like some for St. Basil and then some for the Calicon Saroy as well. Um, so they're, they're still definitely kept in mind as part of the holiday celebrations yeah. around. So no connection that I know of, or have heard people try to make between the Tompter and the, and those guys, but you know, just yeah, I, I think you'd be pretty yeah. hard pressed to find uh, a connection between, you know, to, to find communication from that far North and that right. far South in, in Europe. Um, I think, uh, and, and of course, you know, the, the Scandinavian stuff is, is largely Germanic in origin, whereas, um, a lot of that Greek stuff is pulling from, uh, Slavic mm-hmm. or Slavic adjacent, uh, also Tur- uh, Turkish as well. There, yeah. You know. Yeah. We said Greek, but there's apparently it goes 
Yeah, Greece, yeah, Europe, it's and Greek and Greek ad- Russia. adjacent yeah. <laughs> areas, and because uh, yeah, like tur- uh, Turkey and then some of the um, some of the Balkan countries have similar versions as well yeah. with slightly different names. But if you just stick those guys in for like Christmas elves, you'll start to see like in Google now, people are mixing all of them up. Like you search Calakanzaros and you'll see Santa elves and you'll see some, yeah. you'll see Jenny Eystrom pop up and all kinds of things. So yeah. Yeah. That's disheartening to me. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I check, I like to check Instagram for, um, to see what people are doing. And it's always really disheartening to me when I search for like a specific, uh, regional gift bringer and pictures of Santa Claus just pop up, you know, mm-hmm. it's like embrace embrace your thing your thing is cool don't uh don't look don't make yours look like our thing just because there's a movie uh so yeah so to me the santa claus-esque yule tomton is way less interesting than the traditional farm uh tomtar that's that's what i would prefer to see i would prefer to see more of the janine Eastrom type that's that's what i want so i so if people do at me the people who are not angry at something i've said who say, let me know how they decorate or how they celebrate. Um, I hope they will tell me that they preserve the traditional, you know, traditional 19th century, (laughs) uh, you know, decorations and celebrations in in that way. And not the 20th century uh, Santa-esque Yule Thompson, but who who knows? Yeah. I just like it because they're sort of more integrated all year, right? Because they're the little guys that help you out all year long. And exactly. Christmas is just where you you help them. It's not like something, you know, we forget about Santa Claus the rest of the year, unless you're threatening your kids, but there is part of a much more. Yeah. 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 And going folklore. And, and I mean, I don't know, I don't know what the, you know, the relationship is supposed to be between the family and, um, and the Tomtar now that, you know, again, following urbanization, do, do people only think about them at Christmas or is it still like a year round? I mean, if you don't have a horse anymore, (laughs) Yeah, you don't have to think about who's the weird guy in the barn who takes care of the horse. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so I mean the the new movie um, seems to be you know this American family moves in and they don't know the traditions, they don't know the rules, and uh, so you know somebody a local person is explaining to one of the kids like yeah he gets really easily offended with like if you change things around in the barn or if you have uh, bright artificial lights or a lot of loud noise. And of course the trailer intercuts, you know, the American family decorating for Christmas with yeah. all of their strings of lights and their uh, like automated uh, lawn decorations that start playing music and that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's in that, in that way, it's kind of a, uh, it's very ripe for the clash of cultures there and and you can i mean it's pretty easy to see like how it's played as a metaphor you know for american tourists and how just how the american vibe doesn't necessarily fit with an especially a a rural scandinavian vibe yeah yeah Uh, so yeah i am looking forward to that movie i hope i get a chance to see it uh soon i i hope it's good i i think the trailer is uh looks very fun all right well good well elves and so we got to keep in mind what is the new thing that starts for next year and yeah. Trying to if anyone's it. got suggestions. Yep. Always looking. Cause we're, as I think I had told you one time, I feel I'm worried that we're going to start getting down to things that are so local 
that it's hard, but I, I don't know. There's still also like, I noticed there are, I, at a Barnes and Noble the other day, there were two books of like, one was all about Christmas gift game bringers. And one was all about, um, uh, sort of dark Christmas legends again or something. And there were some things in there I hadn't heard of before. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so who knows, maybe people are starting to actually dig up some old things or yeah, a lot of people are they're treading on my territory there. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm worried too, that they're just like taking something and like saying, yeah, and it could happen at Christmas too, which yeah, I, I yeah, I spent too much of my money on those books, but I haven't read them yet. We'll, <laughs> we'll see what they do. But good. But Benito, thanks. And you're going to go now have some actual good European fun. That's right. Yeah. I'm um, like I recording this about three hours before I'm going to be on a plane headed to Prague, Czechia, where I'm going to see Mikulaš, St. Nicholas. Very um, cool. There with his uh, chert and Andiel, his devil and angel that he comes with. Down, he comes on a golden rope down from heaven, and uh, so I'm hoping to encounter those figures um, in the next couple of days. And that's a good tease to say that this is not the only time you'll hear Benito this year. Yeah, there is more of Benito's Christmas travels coming up too. All right, man. Well, thanks a lot. And I'll talk to you soon. All right, dude. Uh, have a good one. Glad to talk to you as always. Thank you. To all those who doubted me, namely myself, I just want you all to recognize that I did indeed get at least one episode out before Christmas Day this year. I hope to have more. It's all a matter of time management, which is not my strength to be honest. But I've got good stuff for you this year. Linda Radish has a new book out about the odd and disturbing history of Christmas baking. Thomas Roy Smith has a new collection of Christmas stories by an author you may or may not have heard of before. And I even got to talk to a personal hero of mine, Ellen Datlow, who edited a new book of seasonal horror stories. And if you don't know Ellen Datlow, you are not a horror anthology fan of any kind. And more stuff. Of course, the story contest, a little more Benito, and a few other surprises if I can get them in. So come with me as we extend the Christmas season beyond Christmas Day. As the good Lord intended when he invented the 12 days of Christmas and Epiphany, we might even do like the Swedish and go all the way through January to St. Newt's Day. Who knows? Point is, I am here. The cards have been going strong, but I know what everyone really wants to hear are the stories, and I do too. So I'm off to finish more episodes to bring more disturbing weirdness into the season. Please pray for my soul, for my sinuses, for my sins, and most importantly, pray that Santa doesn't stuff you in his bulging, sweaty sack. Kissalle takkia on peli, kaikki vain joukohon leikkiä lyömään ja puuroa syömään, kun joulu on.